Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Doing okay? Uh, if you're a guest, my name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Glad that you uh, have chosen to spend some time with us this weekend. And uh, we're, we're excited. We're in this series uh, that we've called uh, Put Me In Coach. So this is week two. After last week, if you were here, I just need to let you know I almost wore my Broncos jersey today. It was a little rough last week, and I imagine it's going to keep getting rougher because of what we saw. Before we get any further, I just want to, first of all, um, let you guys know that we have some special guests with us here uh, today, this weekend. It's pretty awesome. You guys know that over the last several years as a church, we have partnered with a ministry called Project Rescue that is uh, providing um, ministry to the gals that have been uh, caught into the sex slave trade industry in India and other parts around the world. And so this is a partnership that we're very passionate about, an opportunity to be part of what they're doing overseas. You remember a, a year or so ago, Beth and I were able to travel to India to see firsthand some of what they're doing there and to uh, further some of the passion that we have to be able to help there. So the Barretts are here. Jonathan is the president of Project Rescue Foundation. Can you guys just give them a round of applause and, and welcome them here to Plum Creek. We're glad you guys are here. Um, I, and they, they were just, they're here this morning. If you want to talk with them, they'll be here after the service. If you guys could just stay there for just a few moments. And I know for our church, this is something we're very passionate about. If you want to just learn more about what's happening. And, and uh, also, it's just great to have you here to be able to connect. One of our Plum Creekers, who's very passionate about this ministry as well, their company had kind of an opportunity for different agencies to come because their company is very benevolent and give a lot of resources away. And so they asked uh, for Project Rescue to be represented, so that's why they're here, so we're excited to be able to even put them in contact with uh, other ways for them to be able to be getting additional resources to be able to further the ministry that they're doing there. So thank you for what you guys are doing. It's awesome. We're glad that you're here today. So we're going to continue this series that we started last week called Put Me In Coach. Uh, some of these thoughts came from a book that I've been reading called Not A Fan, and last week we kicked off this series asking the question, are you a, a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? A big difference between being a fan and actually being in the game. And, and I know that there are all kinds of challenges that are part of the reality of life, that there are ebbs and flows that are even part of our spiritual journey. Some of you that might be here today are just checking this whole thing out. Totally understand that. We're glad that you're here. For some of you, you've been maybe following Jesus for a long time. And if we were honest, we would be able to say that there are times when it seems like we're connected and we're more than a fan, and then there's other times, because of life circumstances, maybe because of the highs and the lows of life or challenges that you've gone through or whatever else it might be, that you're not as connected as uh, you maybe once were. So we've been talking about the difference between being a fan and being a follower. Uh, last week, we defined the word fan as an enthusiastic admirer. Understanding that God wants so much more for our lives than to just kind of standing on the sidelines being an admirer. It made me think of a, 
of an opportunity I had a couple of years ago. Charlie's actually here several years ago. He's been, their family's been with us from the very beginning since we started the church. And years ago on my birthday, which is in July, he said, Doug, I've got an idea. I want to give you a gift for your birthday. I want to go to Chicago with you to watch the Denver Broncos and the Chicago Bears play. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. That will be fun. Let's go to my town and I'll show you our real football fans. And uh, so we went, and it was a really great uh, weekend together, in particular because the, the Bears won, which is a rare thing. I know that would not happen if they played today. But I've got to tell you that there was this amazing thing that happened uh, while we were in Chicago. We checked into our hotel room, and I needed to use the restroom, and Charlie turned into like this hyper-speed HGTV extreme hotel room makeover guy. I didn't even know it was physically possible for someone to redecorate a hotel room as fast as Charles did. I didn't even know it was possible for him to actually have the clothes we needed and all of that Bronco gear in his suitcase at the same time. By the time I came out of the restroom, completely redecorated, banners on the walls, uh, flags hanging, Uh, little trinkets of Bronco paraphernalia everywhere, and Charles' little smile. (laughs) Unmistakable. Well, we went to the game, and I can tell you that Charles is, is definitely a follower of the Denver Broncos, but that was a rough weekend, a rough weekend. And like we've been talking about, the ebbs and flows of the reality of life uh, hit hard that weekend. And uh, let's just say we had some wagers on the game. And you might remember if you were around that uh, Charles then was required to wear some late 80s circa Walter Payton limited edition, maybe a little too small sweatshirt. (laughs) For Charles, that smile that you see on his face there is, uh, is not even an enthusiastic follower. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, that was a rough weekend. Just wanted to remind you that today. So thanks again for the birthday present, though. It was awesome. Last week, our main thought was that Jesus wants more than fans. He wants us to be followers. And we know there are times when uh, we're more red hot in our walk with God than other times. And then for some of you, you're still trying to figure this out. And we've been talking about being more than just a fan, but truly being a follower. Last week, we talked about how our relationships with him require evaluation. We talked about the importance of having those define the relationship moments Uh, in in terms of our relationship with God, and we need to do that on a regular basis. And last week we talked a little bit about that whole DTR conversation, and some of you have probably had that before. Uh, Maybe you're involved in a relationship and you're ready to kind of take it to the next level, and so one of the two of you would initiate a conversation that basically would go something like this. I think it's important that we have a talk. And all the guys are like, a talk? Yeah, it's important. And so one or the other would initiate this conversation that, listen, I really want you to know my heart. And when you do this, you're really putting yourself out there. You're saying, I, wanna, I just need to tell you how I'm feeling. And so I've been thinking about our relationship. And I want you to know that I see this thing entirely differently than I did when we first started, that I, I really care about you. I love you. And as I've been thinking about our relationship, I just want you to know that I am ready to, to just let you know that I am all in. And when I think about our relationship, I I want you to know that I I really want to spend the rest of my life with you. 
and then you just wait for the response. Imagine with me that you had just communicated what I, what I just said there, and then imagine that this significant other of yours says something like this to you, I, I love you too, and I want you to know that I'm, I'm willing to commit to you for the rest of my life as well. Let's, let's take this thing to the next level. But I have one condition. As we take this next step, I, I just want you to know that I still want to be able to see other people too. Could you imagine how that would feel? But as I've been thinking about this series and thinking about defining the relationship and our walk with the Lord, knowing that there are highs and lows and I want you to know that I see sometimes fans that respond just like that to Jesus. We know who he is here. We might even be able to talk a good game. But the reality is we don't want to give him full commitment. We want to hold back just a little bit. And we know when we read scripture that Jesus' teachings are clear that following him requires your whole heart. It requires us being all in. It requires us being more than fans, but truly being followers and being passionate about being in the game. Last week, we talked a little bit about these guys, the Pharisees that are talked about in the New Testament. These are these guys who, man, they are just full of religiosity. They, all eyes are on them. People think they're very spiritual. They follow rules to the T. They walk with spiritual pride. They're kind of looking at others all the time with this evaluative spiritual eye. People are kind of intimidated by them, definitely full of religion and yet not relationship. And when you read the Gospels, when you read Jesus' teaching and you see his interactions with them, these are the dudes that Jesus is toughest on. Because he wants it to go from knowing him to really knowing him. Does that make sense? A difference between a, a, a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. They knew about God, but what we learn is that they really didn't know him. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is describing these Pharisees, he says this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Boy, if we were to spend some time unpacking that a little bit, we would realize that that could be a good description of a fan of Jesus too. That they are people that honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They know him here, but not yet here. Maybe they've not surrendered fully. And these were men who had plenty of knowledge about God and things of God, but they really didn't know him well. The best biblical word for that we have for this kind of uh, intimacy that we're talking about today is literally the word know. The Hebrew word for know is one that means to be uh, to know completely and to be completely known. It's an interesting word. As a matter of fact, one Hebrew scholar defines this word this way, that it's a mingling of the souls. There's some kind of level of depth of connection and an understanding that goes beyond just an intellectual understanding to a real experiential understanding where there's a deep heartfelt soul connection. I believe this would be important for some of us that are here today because you're going through some tough times perhaps in your life and when you're looking at your life and you're evaluating relationship with God you just need to be reminded that God knows you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. 
In Psalm 139, you might want to write that down. David uses this word several times as he's describing his relationship with God. You might want to go back this week and read this passage again. In Psalm 139, if we start in verse 1, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. Look at this next phrase because it's going to come back to us in just a couple of moments. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Kind of makes you think that maybe we should listen to his voice before, before we are thinking. And now look at this one. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Maybe it would be good to listen, huh? You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand when we begin to think about the fact that the creator of the universe knows us boy if we can hold on to that then all of a sudden there's something that happens inside of us that helps us know it's not just this but it's this that matters that all of a sudden we can be more than fans we can truly be followers because we understand how how he wants to be in relationship with us well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 7. Turn in your smartphone or whatever device you might have that has uh, the scriptures on it, and you can look at uh, Luke chapter 7. Jesus gets invited in this passage of scripture to go to dinner by one of these Pharisees. And, you know, it's interesting that in this passage of scripture, we don't know what the motivation was for Jesus to be invited over for dinner that day. But as we read this story, we're going to see that the motive probably wasn't completely pure. But you need to understand how this would work culturally. Uh, it would not be uncommon for someone like this Pharisee and probably most likely his other buddies who were kind of at odds with Jesus because Jesus was always challenging them and they were always very suspect of what Jesus was doing because he was gaining a following. So there was some kind of conflict between these two groups, between Jesus and the Pharisees. And this particular Pharisee, his name was Simon, invites Jesus to come over to his house. Now, in this day and age, before there was TV and Sunday night football, it would not have been uncommon for others in the community to come to be part of this event as well and kind of stand on the periphery of a courtyard, just observing and paying attention and watching and listening the conversation. And this would have been a hot ticket because the people would have known that the, that the, that the Pharisees and Jesus had, had pretty, pretty heated conversations with one another, to say the least. So there was probably people that would have even showed up early to watch this whole dinner deal go down. So there would have been people standing in the periphery, and if you understand their customs, uh, Jesus and Simon and Simon's buddies would have been kind of lounging in this spot where they would eat, and everyone else then would be observing their conversation and watching their interactions with one another. Jesus should have been considered a guest of honor, but it becomes quickly apparent that that wasn't the case at all. So let me just kind of share with you some of the things that would have been cultural norms or even kind of rules of etiquette when you would have someone over for dinner like this. It would be important for us to know. If a, if a guest was a person of equal or social rank, then when the host would, would be greeting them as they were coming into their home, they would greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. If this was a person of especially high honor, uh, that greeting would change from a kiss on the cheek to a kiss on the hand, much like we would shake hands or give someone a hug if we knew them well when they came into our home. To neglect that kiss of greeting would have been uh, completely ignoring someone. 
socially unacceptable in many ways. It would be like having a person come into your home and refusing to even acknowledge that they were there. Another part of this first century Middle Eastern etiquette was that when a guest would come, the host would also make provision to wash their feet because they would have sandals on. And obviously they're walking on dusty paths and so when they would come into their home, they would, um, they would, if it was someone of great honor, they would kneel down and there would be a little basin of water and a towel and they would be responsible as the host to rinse their feet and dry them off. If it was someone that they didn't feel was socially at that place, they would perhaps have their servant come and wash their feet and dry them off. And worst case scenario, they would at least make provision for the materials necessary for the guests to do that themselves. It would also be normal that um, after those things would be done, the host would provide some olive oil for the person to kind of pour over themselves, kind of cleaning themselves up just a little bit. This would be an inexpensive oil, but still considered a hospitable gesture. Obviously, olive oil would be everywhere because there's olive trees everywhere, so this would be very common. This is the way they would interact with one another, but we learn in this passage that when Jesus comes to Simon's house, none of it happens. There is no kiss of greeting, no washing of feet, and no oil on Jesus' head. This was not an accidental oversight. I believe this was quite deliberate. Jesus was ignored. And culturally, this would have also been an insult. It would have started the talk of the crowd. Did you see? He didn't even greet Jesus when he came in. This is going to get... He didn't even wash his feet. No olive oil? Man, he's already making a statement. This thing's going to get crazy. Fans have a tendency to confuse their knowledge for intimacy, and I think these guys confused their knowledge of God for intimacy with God as well. And my main thought today is that if we're going to be moving from fanship to a place where we're really following, if you have your journey guides, you can pull it out, you can see it here, knowing about God doesn't mean that I know Him. Knowing about God doesn't mean that I know Him. Do you just know about God? Do you just know about Jesus Or do you really know him? Is there something that's happened inside of you, deep in your soul? Is there this relationship and not just following after a religion? Something very different. Fans have a tendency to confuse their knowledge for intimacy, and they don't recognize or realize the difference. And I think oftentimes church has contributed to this problem. Because we work really hard for people to understand intellectually the principles and the things that are in scripture, the things that Jesus taught. And so we can even get to the place where we think that knowing about him somehow has become more important than actually knowing him. The difference between knowing about and knowing personally, we have to be careful with that. Our hope and our plan and our prayer and our desire is that the knowledge that we gain about God will always translate into a deepening relationship with him that would help us to be more than fans but truly help us to be followers. That's our objective. So knowledge is part of intimacy, but just because there's knowledge, it doesn't mean that there's intimacy there. And like this Pharisee in Luke 7, many of us that could be uh, finding ourselves in fanship rather than following are in a place where we mistake our knowledge for intimacy. I've been there. I've been there before. There are times when you could just walk through, even if you followed Jesus for a long time, walk through a dry time spiritually where your relationship, if you were to describe it accurately, would be more about being a fan than being a follower. You know, yeah, go Jesus, but Jesus really isn't here the way that he should be. 
And so we want to see this transition taking place. And when there's knowledge without intimacy, you're not really more than anything other than a fan. So I want to take a, a closer look at Simon's story. And I want you to see what happens during this this dinner that Jesus was at. And this is what I really want you to see. There's two characters that are going to emerge. And there's such a contrast between the two of them. You're going to see a glaring difference between a fan and a follower. And you're going to see as this story unfolds, this example that I think we can learn some things from and apply some things to our lives as well. So this story starts in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So this is how it begins. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. Do you see what is glaringly not included in the story? Simon doesn't greet Jesus with a kiss, he just walks in. Simon doesn't wash Jesus' feet, he doesn't even ask his servant to wash Jesus' feet. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even make provision for the supplies necessary for Jesus to do that himself. He doesn't provide olive oil. None of this is done, and I believe none of this was done on purpose. So now what I want you to do is, as you're thinking about this picture, Jesus is reclining at this spot with the Pharisees, and he's sharing this meal, and there are people that are around. Now I want you to watch as this woman enters into the picture and begins to have an intimate, very powerful moment with Jesus, different than a fan. She's truly a follower because she's been profoundly changed. When a certain immoral woman, let's stop there for a second. It's interesting that scripture includes that, doesn't it? Most theologians would agree that she has a pretty serious reputation. Most likely, she was a prostitute in their community. A certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, that Jesus was. So she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. So she's a known, she's a known woman of reputation in this community. And she gets there and has a position somewhere in the courtyard. And while this whole thing is going down, something happens inside of her and she's very emotional. And she begins to cry, and so she kind of fights her way through the crowd. And you could only imagine how all of a sudden this scene would have changed very quickly. If you have any kind of emotional intelligence at all, you could see quickly that it, all the attention would have shifted from the kind of uh, thoughts and feelings about having Jesus in this dinner and interaction with the Pharisees to what was taking place when this woman comes to Jesus' feet, and so she's very emotional. She's emotional because she doesn't just know about Jesus here. Something has happened here. And she kneels down at Jesus' feet while she's crying, and as she's crying, she recognizes that her tears are beginning to to wash the the dirt and the dust off of Jesus' feet. And then she reaches up and she lets her hair down and she begins to use her hair as a towel to wipe Jesus' feet off, to dry them off. And then she takes this little jar full of expensive perfume. It's not just common olive oil. There's something expensive about it. And she begins to pour it onto Jesus' feet and then kisses Jesus' feet. This whole thing would have caught the attention of everybody that was there that day. 
Very interesting that all of the things that the Pharisee Simon neglected to do, she stepped in and did herself. Washing his feet, drying his feet, kissing his feet, and pouring the oil over Jesus' feet. Are you, are you a perfume or cologne person? Do you like that? I, I, love, I love Beth's perfume, and I like cologne. I like to smell good. It's better than smelling bad. Several years ago, I was traveling back, uh, I was traveling out of the country, and I had a long layover in the, in the airport in Paris. Some of you that have traveled internationally, you probably have had these kinds of experiences. And I had enough time that I needed to do something, but not enough time that I could actually leave the airport and go see something cool. So I was walking through one of the terminals, and I happened to walk past a, one of these duty-free shops, and they have like a gajillion perfumes in there. So I was... Missing Beth, and I thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick out some perfume for Beth. And I had a lot of time. So one of the attendants of the duty-free shop came over and said, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I've seen this before. I want some coffee beans because I'm going to pick some perfume out for my wife. Okay. So they brought me some coffee beans because, you know, they say when you smell that, it clears your nose enough that you could smell the rest of the perfumes. And I smelled every single one of them. Had a long time. And I had a little piece of paper with me, and I decided I was going to rank my top 10 while I was walking through smelling these perfumes. And so I got to the top 10 and kept clearing my nose, and I worked my way down to the top three. And then finally, I picked this bottle of perfume that I wanted to bring home for Beth, and it's called Alberta Ferretti. And it smells good. I like Alberta Ferretti. But you know, I found out not too long ago that it's going to be discontinued, and so they're not making it anymore. So last Christmas, I bought Beth two bottles. Right before uh, I, well, this week while I was working on this message, I looked it up again, and someone's selling a bottle of that perfume for $900. Got to be honest, that freaks me out a little bit, so I've asked Beth to go very easy on the squirts. (laughs) But do you know, I could be a long ways away from Beth, smell that scent, And it does something in my mind. It can bring me to some moments that Beth and I have had together. It for sure would make me think about her. But I want you to think about this scene and what we're talking about today. One person said, smells are surer than sounds or sights to make your heartstrings crack. So this lady, she anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume. I can only imagine what kind of memories the smell of that perfume would bring back to each of those that were there that day. All of the people in the periphery of the courtyard and the the Pharisees at the table and Jesus and even this lady, what this smell represented now was something entirely different than it had ever represented before. Now I want you to look at verse 39 in Luke 7 and I want you to remember what we were talking about earlier from the psalm that David wrote where God even knows our thoughts. This is one of my favorite things to read in the gospel story of Jesus' interaction with people. As a matter of fact, I've even toyed with the idea of doing a series where Jesus responds to people's thoughts. Could you imagine what that would be like? So Jesus is at this dinner and this lady has anointed his feet and washed his feet and the Pharisees, man, they're looking at this thing with a very crazy kind of analytical eye 
And it says this in Luke 7, 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Do you see what's important to him? Do you see his evaluation and his thought process of what's going on? Not necessarily offended by what she did, but offended by who she is. It's a very interesting thing that he says. So Jesus sees what's going on in Simon's heart. I've even wondered, you know what? Why does Jesus even go to this cat's house for dinner? He knows what's in his heart. He know, but here's why. He always, for each and every one of us, those Pharisees included, wants it to go from here to here. So he'll put himself out there purposefully if he thinks and, and, and hopes and dreams and knows that there's going to be a possibility for someone to move from here to here, to move from being a fan to being a follower to really get in the game. Simon acknowledges Jesus as a teacher in verse 40, but he doubts Jesus as a prophet, saying if he really was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. It's interesting that he doesn't condemn the action of her touching him or or of the whole picture other than Jesus' lack of discernment and who this woman is. Now look at verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. We all want to go, yeah, I'm going to go Jesus, you know. But watch what he says. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Again, now I want you to see what Jesus is going to do is he's going to go to the heart. It's not enough just to know about him. He wants to explain this whole situation to this Pharisee, hoping that it would take him as well and those that were watching and observing to a whole nother level. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says because this is powerful. This is how we make a move from being a fan to being a follower. If you've never actually said yes to Jesus yet, I'm gonna show you something that can change your life. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, you're gonna see this is how we move from those places of dryness in our spiritual journey with God from just being a, a fan to truly being a follower to having our soul really mingled with him the way it should be. Watch what Jesus says. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now watch where Jesus goes. Who do you suppose, speaking to Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now watch Simon's response. Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Aha, Jesus says. That's it. That's it. Simon, hear what you just said. That's the difference between here and here. And I want to tell you today that this is why I get so excited when I read this story. If you want to know how to make sure you're not just being a fan of Jesus, but truly being a follower of Jesus, this is something that we must hold on to tightly. We must never forget how incredible His amazing redemptive work is in us. If you get to the place where you think that you're good enough that you deserve that, or that somehow God, is, God has been done a favor because you're part of His team, you're wrong. 
What you need to do is hold tightly to the understanding of his incredible forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and you hold tight to his redemptive work so that it continues to stir you just like it did for this lady who said, God did something in me and man, I didn't deserve it. I was a mess and when I look back, there's all kinds of mess that I'm embarrassed of. But when I look forward, man, I hold tight to this incredible thing that Jesus did for me. And so when you hold tight to that, it draws you to want to be in his presence. It draws you to want to be in a place of worshiping him. It draws you to a place where it's more than just knowing about him, but it's truly in your heart, a mingling of your soul, of appreciation, and just unbelievable gratitude because of everything that he's done for you. Simon, you may know about me but you don't know me now watch as he takes it to another whole level i love how this picture unfolds and when we read the story we see that jesus now turns to the woman could you imagine he turns to the woman and yet he keeps talking to simon i like that he's done that he turns to look at this woman but he's going to speak to simon and he's going to share with him the matter that he's seen unfold in front of him. And he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Oh, Simon, when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. And then he says this, I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Do you see what just happened? Do you see what you and I need to hold tightly to? An understanding of God's incredible redemptive work in us wrecks us. And it wrecks us in a good way. We can never be the same once that has happened. It goes from just intellectually understanding who God is to really having had an experience with Him so that we're forever changed. It draws us to a place of wanting to be with Him and to even have our souls mingled with them in a greater way and we move from just intellectually understanding to really knowing and we move from having this place of fanship to being a place who's truly following and it changes us forever. Now we don't know for sure what it is that had caused this woman to respond this way but obviously she's heard Jesus' teaching and it's profoundly changed her. Maybe it was the way that Jesus looked at her and she's, she can't even remember the last time that a man looked at her accepting her for who she is and not what she could do. Or maybe it was Jesus' communication to her that her past didn't matter, that she had a future. Or maybe it was that for the first time, regardless of her past, there's still a God that loves her so deeply and dearly. Maybe she learned that it wasn't too late for her, but even though she had this sordid past and a reputation that everybody knew that she could still follow after Jesus, whatever it was, however that happened, it moved from here to here 
And she was desperate to see Jesus again, compelled to be in his presence, to express her, her heart for all that Jesus had done and for the change that she had experienced in her life. She just had to be near Jesus. What she did, it was reckless. What she did was impulsive and it would have been culturally inappropriate. But it's important as well for us to see that it's exactly the kind of follower that Jesus wanted. I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that. Can you remember when it went from here to here? Can you remember when you went from being a fan of Jesus to really being a follower of Jesus? Those moments so profoundly impact us that we become overwhelmed by God's grace and his forgiveness in our life and we feel completely compelled to respond. A heart that's full. A heart that is so moved and full because we're, we're overwhelmed by all God has done. I want you to see what Jesus says to this lady in the commentary at the same time that he gives to all of those that would have been there today in verse 48. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, they said among themselves, see, they missed this whole point again. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't look back. Don't think about your past because it doesn't matter. Your sins, though they were great, and everybody knows about it, do not matter. Jesus was focused on the future and not on the past. I wonder if you've ever been so overwhelmed by God's grace and forgiveness that you were compelled to respond like that. Complete surrender, complete devotion, and complete commitment. I wonder how long it's been since you kind of reclaimed a tight grip on God's work in you. Once again, grateful. Never thinking that you deserve that, but overwhelmed because of all that he's done. When's the last time that you just kind of reclaimed that tight hold on what he's done? I believe if we want to move from being fans to truly being followers and we want even this week to be a different kind of week, we've got to reclaim that. And when we reclaim that, then all of a sudden, there's a passion that just this begins to be ignited deep in our soul. A passion that is overwhelmed by God's goodness. Our eyes look different. And you know why our eyes look different? Because our soul looks different. And then we want to be around him and our heart is different because we continue to learn more and we want to be near him and we want to know him more and we want to spend time with him. And then, and then you know what? It compels us to want to talk about it too. I'm not who I once was. God's work is real. His redemptive power at work in us changes us forever and brings us to that place where we don't know him here but we know him here and we're forever changed. You're not a fan. You become a full-fledged follower of him, of this incredible Jesus that died for you, that loves you, that forgave you, that saved you, and wants to change your life. You see, there's a big difference between knowing about God. It's not enough. 
What he really wants is for you and for me to know him personally. Will you bow your heads for just a moment? When his grace has impacted us this way, we have a different focus. Our focus is on him. And maybe you're here today and after you're hearing this story, you're realizing that, well, you know, for a long time, maybe you've intellectually understood things about God, but you've never had a personal relationship with him. And if you evaluated where you're at spiritually and kind of this embrace, this full embrace of him, you would have to admit that you're at a place where you just kind of have been more of a fan than a true follower. And if you're here today and you realize that and you're saying, you know what, Doug, I needed to be here today because I need to understand the difference between having an intellectual understanding of him and really knowing him in my heart and soul. And if you're here today and you're ready to take a step to move past just knowing about him, but really knowing him, everybody's heads bowed and eyes are closed. Would you just raise your hand and say, Doug, you know, that's me. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? You can put them back down. You see, it tells us in Romans that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And watch it move now. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. It's a heart thing. So in just a couple of moments, our team is going to sing a song. And as we're reflecting, I want you just to spend a couple of moments just talking to him. Just pray. And what we just talked about, acknowledge him as Lord. Believe in your heart that what he did, he did for you. And just like he did for this lady that was at this, at this dinner with Jesus that night, your heart and your life can be changed. You don't need to look back. You can look forward with graciousness and gratitude and an unbelieving, unbelievable hope for your future. Because that's what Jesus does. He changes us. And when he changes us, man, it's a thing that goes deep into our heart so that now we're mingled in relationship with him differently than ever before. And we want to be near him. For the rest of you that are here today, as you would think about your relationship with the Lord and the difference between being in the game and being a fan, boy, today I want to challenge you. If there's any way that we could reclaim hold on what God has done in us, I promise you that your perspective will be different this week. Being reminded of God's work in you, his redemptive work that changes you. That's where we need to be this week. And that's how you ensure that you're more than a fan and truly a follower. The team is going to sing this song. And as they sing this song, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Listen to the words. Spend a couple of minutes just communicating with the Lord. And when you're ready, you can lift your head up and the words will be on the screen and just reflect on your personal relationship with the Lord and the difference between being a fan and being a follower. An alabaster box held a costly perfume She anointed him that day and fragrance filled she washed his feet with tears and dried them with her hair. I know how Mary felt as she was near in At your
more than knowing about him that's knowing him and so this week my challenge for you is hold tightly hold tightly to what he's done and when we hold tightly to that man you don't have to worry about just being a fan of his because your heart knowing what he did for you is not merited nothing you could have done would deserve what he did but when we hold tightly in gratitude to that our lives are changed and we want to know him personally. We want to be around him. We want to know more about him and it changes us. Your eyes will look different because your heart will be different. God, will you help us to do that this week? It's so easy, Lord, to have other things that are vying for our attention and distract us from living a life of just complete gratitude, knowing there was nothing that we could have ever done to deserve the way that you've loved us the way that you've cared for us. And we pray, God, in these moments, even today, that as we reflect and think about this some more and as we allow this reality to become an expression of the week that lies ahead, Lord, will you help us? Will you help us to do that well? We don't want to just be fans. We want in the game, God. We want to truly follow you well. So help us to keep our mind fixed on you and our hearts just at a place of just gratefulness because of this incredible God we serve. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.